0: Welcome, welcome. This is Shakisha and the White Boy coming to you live from our homes. I am your host, Ryan Dinger, and I just finished watching my 12th movie in a row on Netflix. Joining me from her own social distancing space is my co host. She's a writing, directing, producing, podcasting queen. She is the very talented Shakisha Williams. Hello, Hello, sir. Hey, Shakisha, how's it going?
1: It's going. How are you?
0: I am continuing to live within the uh, four walls of my apartment, only going out when necessary. So uh, going a little stir crazy, (laughs) I would say, actually.
1: Isn't that weird? Like, you know, you think being home away from the office would be like the best. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you take off out the element of being able to go outside, it changes things a bit.
0: Yeah, you know what has been um, really crazy is so the other night I was sleeping with the windows open because it was kind of nice out, and the complete it was on Friday night actually, and um, just the complete lack of street noise and like just things going on like usually in my neighborhood on a Friday night, Mm -hmm. uh, if you have the windows open, you're hearing people going by, coming out from the bar, coming back in, going to the bar, right? You you just hear so much riffraff, and like it was dead silent on friday night it was really really surreal
1: nothing it's nothing like um unfortunately my uh my daughter is still working she's considered essential um so she i like gave her a lift to to work um and on the streets in, in jersey it's really quite dead it's quite dead
0: yeah yeah that's scary having to having to send your daughters out there right now i'm sure uh
1: yeah she's she's not liking it, but she's going out there and doing what she has to do um but for me, i honestly i I partied with quite a number of people last night. It was like Oprah and Michelle Obama <laughs> and I just showed up Black thought showed up will Smith popped
0: in oh man black thought was there he's tough to get.
1: Yeah, he is, he is. And it wasn't a physical party, it was Club Quarantine, a.k.a. <laughs> DJ D-Nice's homeschool, and it was awesome. He spun for I don't know how many hours. I would definitely say, like, an all-nighter. Like, it started East Coast probably around 5-ish, yeah. and went on through the night. He was changing his hat, and every time he changed his hat, you was supposed to take a shot. He was shouting people out. Gary Owens said he bought the bar, but he was at home, so he bought his own bar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool. Janet Jackson showed up, but when like Joe Biden, Ellen DeGeneres like pop in, it's it's definitely something special. And the stream got up to about a hundred thousand people.
0: Wow, that's crazy. That's awesome. You know, that's that's definitely one of the things that has been interesting about this time is like watching artists and other people uh, move basically what it is that they do into the online environment and just having a lot, you know, people just do these pop up live streams and stuff that actually has been pretty cool to watch, I would say. that's
1: The plus side of all of this is that, you know, creatives get a chance to create if we are you know, if we're inspired enough. Um and to be honest with you, it is a nice little respite from the fear and the ongoing siege of everything that's happening. So yeah. you know, another yeah, conversation definitely. to have. So definitely. definitely a good thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. You yeah. know, you mentioned your daughter is essential personnel and something we actually haven't mentioned yet. On The podcast is uh, other people who are essential personnel, uh, mainly medical professionals, you know, people on the front lines fighting against this thing. I personally have um, multiple nurses in my family. Two of my sisters are nurses. My mom was a nurse. Um, My sisters are active in hospitals now. So Mm. you worry about you know, what's going to happen there as this thing continues to grow and, um, as hospitals and other medical facilities begin to become overwhelmed by it. It's really nerve wracking, but I was reading, you know, uh, the global giving council is, uh, or I'm sorry, the organizational global giving is doing a coronavirus relief fund. So, uh, if you want to, and you're able, and you know, you're concerned about these healthcare professionals, you can actually go there and donate whatever amount you're comfortable with. Um, and what they say this will go toward is, uh, you know, sending doctors and nurses to the front lines and communities where they're needed, getting masks, ventilators, and other life-saving medical supplies to hospitals and clinics, essential items to struggling families. So, you know, if you're looking for a way to help and you're feeling powerless right now, that's one way you could do it. Global Giving, their Corona re- Corona coronavirus relief fund. So that's one thing going on. You know...
1: And, and there was a, I saw something online, Christian Seriano, who is a designer... With his claim to fame, not only being just about every red carpet, but also Project Runway winner uh, many moons ago, and he's actually begun making masks and is reached and has reached out to the FDA. He was like, "We reached out to the FDA. Stay tuned, because we, you know, if we can help in any way, and being that New York is really, you know, kind of it's it's not a lot of supplies left."
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a uh... and yeah. Nerve-wracking time, for sure. And, you know, with everything going on in the world, Keisha, it's easy to forget that there actually is an election coming up in November. Oh, yeah. Um-
1: that's right? right.
0: It's kind of in the back of the, in the recesses of the mind right now. But, you know,
1: about,
0: yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you know, no matter what happens in this election, it's going to come under some scrutiny. And that's because of one simple fact. And that is voting is still incredibly difficult for many people here in the U.S. So today, shakishi you and I are going to be discussing voting rights and some of the many tools and systems in place that prevent many American citizens from truly having their God given right to vote. It's a conversation you and I have wanted to have for a long time. And uh what better time than now, as they say. Absolutely. But before we get into all that, uh, let's, let's see all about um, some bullshit going on. How about that? <laughs> let's do it. All right, it's time for WTF. What? what? the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck, Richard? What the fuck? WTF. Shakisha, today we're talking about a case of some white... Fragility. Uh, So, listener, um, this is actually a little bit of an older story now, but uh, B. Dixon, the founder and CEO of The Honeypot, did an ad with Target. Uh, She's a black woman, and uh, Target did an ad with her for Black History Month. And um, Well, let's just play the ad now, and then um, we can take a look at uh, some of the response what this ad has been. So let's listen to it.
1: My name is Beatrice Dixon. I'm the founder of The Honey Pot. In the beginning, it wasn't easy to like start this company. And there was a lot of times that it almost didn't happen. If Target didn't take the chance on us, we wouldn't be in all the retailers that we're in today. But what's really dope is they helped us with the product line, the packaging. They really, like, changed my life. The reason why it's so important for Honeypot to do well is so the next Black girl that comes up with a great idea, she could have a better opportunity. That means a lot to me.
0: Okay, there you have it. Uh, pretty non-offensive, you would say, right, Shakisha? Uh,
1: yes. Um, would like to point out that February was Black History Month, Um Target in store had an, an entire black history section featuring, um, uh, books by black authors, cosmetics by black lines, um, some, um, I guess, uh, inspirational t-shirts and, Everything from journals to pens to just everything that they already carry. A honeypot was a part of that. Um, And in the um, commercial, as everyone heard, um, she she the owner B. Is it B. Dixon?
0: B. Dixon. yep.
1: Mentions that she uh, wants to be kind of an inspiration to little black girls in order for them to know that it's possible for them to have this. So there was a, a There's an online site called Trustpilot. And basically, it's a site where you can go online and do reviews on products and companies. Well, a lot of people took offense. Um, some of the comments range from, oh, so.
0: I have some here. I have some here if you do? just like to read them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I pulled well,
1: I, them up. One of my, well, I'll just say this one of my favorite was, well, um, you're not an inspiration to little white girls.
0: Like what yes. The yes, awful That's racist crazy. advertising yeah. is uh, yeah. the, one, one of the top reviews. Uh, one star review, and it says, denoting products as being about or for one particular race is just wrong. I will not purchase any of these products. This should be for all women. What are you telling young girls of any other race? I don't recall her saying the products were just for black women.
1: She actually was talking about herself as an entrepreneur. Right. And the fact <laughs> right. that as a black woman to have this opportunity to be featured in such a large retail chain. She would like to be an inspiration to someone else who's like her. She wasn't, like the the product itself, I didn't even know a black woman owned the product, like was the CEO or creator. Mm -hmm. Unlike Carol's daughter, where that brand was, and I'm not saying that Honey Pot doesn't take that stance, but Carol's daughter, um, which is a hair uh, product line, is specifically had was specifically created with the idea of ethnic hair in mind all kinds mm-hmm. of ethnic hair but ethnic hair indeed or like a a shade but moisture or those kinds of things where it's it started with like a black line i didn't i never saw honey pot as a black line so it was a very interesting tape and what i often find i don't know if it's willful willful ignorance or if it's just the idea of, you know, you're clutching your pearls before you even realize what you're clutching your pearls about. So easily offended. That's that's my takeaway. Yes.
0: Yeah. So, I'm reading. so uh, this one is, is uh, something. And it's a one-star review again. And, guys, there were, like, dozens of these reviews after this ad aired. This very... Non-offensive. I mean, just like your run-of-the-mill bottle ad. You know, it wasn't as if it was like like I don't know. It didn't stand out to me as even being like a particularly uh, abnormal commercial. You know, it's just your standard what you see. But this so this other one-star review says, "I received a bottle of one of the honey." I received a bottle of one of the honey pot cleansers in my bump box subscription my husband bought for me during my pregnancy. I thought the product was just all right. So already throwing a little shade. Then I saw the commercial where the founder of the company stated that it's to empower black women, not all women, only black women. It made me feel that the company is not only racist, but small-minded and not worth purchasing. I will tell all my friends and anyone who asks that the products are not worth purchasing. Very disappointed in the company and founder. Can you believe this? Like, did we not hear the same ad as these people <laughs> that's, that's well, the one well, let's, just,
1: let's just be all the way clear race is a construct of by design from a very american or western i won't even say american because they were english when they first arrived um from a very western standpoint um and the fact is that Black business owners have been shitted on far longer than any other group. I know white women tend to feel, and and rightly so. Rightly so. I don't want to take anything away from the struggle of being a woman, because I myself am a woman, and I understand mm-hmm. that struggle. But being a black woman, we're always kind of runners-up the last place in in the game of life, yes. um, especially from a, very finan- from a financial standpoint. So the fact that this woman is saying that Target gave her a shot you know, with all the odds stacked against her, and how she started in her kitchen, and how she created these products, and how many times she almost stopped, stopped and how many times it almost didn't happen—that was a part of the commercial too. But no one wants to see that.
0: No, um, the last three seconds where she goes, "I hope I can inspire young black girls." Right? That's literally—it's like, it's that's like
1: takeaway. Like we can it's go It's like five
0: percent of the ad.
1: Like we can go see Crazy Rich Asians, you know? But we or you can watch Duck Dynasty where it's a it's a very specific kind of people <laughs> but if a yes. black says i just want to be an inspiration to little black girls who see me and think you know maybe they can do it too like get out of here like i don't even have a response for it it's 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 dumb it's you know it's a, as opposed to it being um you know maybe even ask i, I always say this ask a black person. If you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know what you're saying, just stop and ask a black person and be careful with it. Be very, you know, just, just, but be smart. Like, be smart, people. This woman wasn't, Target wasn't, didn't have an, app. wait, and this is the wonderful thing. There, There's a, a silver lining to all of this. Her sales tripled.
0: All right? I did see that, yes.
1: <laughs> tripled. So for everyone who was like, oh my God, oh my God, who was mm-hmm. taken aback, Fuck y'all cause she still made her money. That's right. And I'm literally sipping tea on that one. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the
0: fuck? What the fuck, Richard? What the fuck You know, yeah, I think you're right. Good for B Dixon for, for getting her money at least because uh, and I think that is important to say that, um she did get a lot of support for the ad too. So it's not all bad. It's, nope. not, it's not all bad. It was just crazy that there was that much vitriol going toward her for being like, I want to be an inspiration for young girls who are like me, right. Right. <laughs> the, the horror, the horror, <laughs> my goodness, wanting to inspire. Yeah. Uh, so, for the first time in a couple weeks now Shakisha we actually have a mailbag question it has returned and uh, a keen listener and actually a fellow podcast um, on Twitter at drunk on writing wrote well so first all, I want to say actually this person uh, has is a keen listener because they've noticed that uh, we talk about movies a lot and so they've asked for our opinion on a movie which is a great way to use the mailbag I think and uh, so here's what they wrote. Drunk on DrunkOnWriting on Twitter writes, We're watching Driving Miss Daisy for our patron video club this month. We'll be interested in hearing your views on the film. So when this came in, Shakisha, I had actually never seen Driving Miss Daisy. Lucky for me, it's available on Netflix right now. And guys, if you would like to watch and never seen it and would like to watch it while you're confined, it is available for, you know, as of the date of this episode. So I had never seen it before. I watched it yesterday. I have some thoughts. Uh, you said you had seen it before.
1: So I have. When did I, you first see it? Uh, probably close to when it was released, back in the late '80s. Yeah, um,
0: 1989, I believe, was the year.
1: Yeah, it like '80. No, it was um '88. 80, uh, um, it won an Oscar in 1989.
0: Okay. Yeah. So you saw it when it first came out. No, what did you not, think?
1: No, you're right. It was released in 89. My bad. Yep. You were right.
0: <laughs> so yep, 1989. Yep. Uh, what did you think when you first saw it?
1: Um, so I actually, it was, a, it was a really well done film. Um, growing up and the college experience and learning more about the uh, tropes in cinema, particularly when it comes to black and white interactions, Mm-hmm. Um, black people and white people interacting with one another I began to see How it would be problematic um, For a lot of people um, Spike Lee even said When driving Miss motherf- Motherfucking Daisy Won Best Picture, that hurt Yeah. But no one's talking about Driving Miss Daisy now Because here, yeah, right. uh Do the Right Thing Came out and was also nominated For an option. Gotcha. And gotcha. Miss Daisy beat do the right thing.
0: Have you seen Driving Miss Daisy since? It, you know, you saw it yeah. when it first came out? Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's it's, it's one of those things that'll come on, um, uh, what is it, Turner, was it TMC?
0: Yeah, Turner Movie Classics.
1: Yeah, yeah, so it'll come on TMC. Sometimes, like, early on, it was a, you know, W Picks 11, which is our side station, was is a CW station now, but, mm-hmm. you know, on a five o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. So I've seen it probably a total of three or four times.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And do you feel like your, your impressions of it have changed Absolutely. over the, yeah. like
1: I said, some of the tropes I have problems with, yeah. um, at first, like at first glance, it's not a major, um, controversy. Mm-hmm. Because it's a simple uh, story of people befriending one another. Right. And opening their eyes to something outside of what they originally thought.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, I watched it for the first time yesterday. Um, okay. And I had a few thoughts. First of all, I didn't know Morgan Freeman was legally allowed to do movies where he's not the narrator. That was weird to me uh you know <laughs> i was like where's the narration morgan what's going on but his character uh he kind of he felt very hokey to me early on um, almost like a caricature of a of a southern black man you know he, he sort of reminded me of like a key and peel character actually <laughs> like yeah. it seemed as if the director was behind the camera like be more black. Can, can you give me a little bit more black? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what it felt like. Yeah. Um, and then Miss Daisy, she's like a, a real pill. Uh, and guys, uh, there's going to be some spoilers here. So if you haven't seen this, it's been... Like, yeah, <laughs> it's been... Uh, <laughs> over 30 years maybe you should get on that but uh yes if you if you don't want any spoilers please skip ahead at this point but so yeah miss daisy uh she gives me real i speak to your can i speak to your manager energy you know she's like that woman um her arc was kind of interesting though because she sort of graduates uh you know early on she's not like actively racist but she's definitely has biases Mm -hmm. against people of color um but as the film goes on and it takes place over the course of probably like 20 years or so i would say it's like starts in the late 40s ends in the late 60s um you know they the mlk dinner scene really was i thought like they're they're showing miss daisy like progressing and becoming more um open-minded and she's like a supporter of MLK but yet uh, she has this opportunity to invite Hoke who's Morgan Freeman's character to this MLK dinner, and she does not really do uh, instead making him like sit outside while well, she gave him like a fake invitation right before he goes in. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so that is like at the point where he says um you know, he he has my favorite line in the whole movie because uh, she goes, you know, I just think it's so wonderful how things have changed. And then she's like going into the MLK dinner and leaving him outside when she has this open seat. Yeah. And uh, he goes, <laughs> Oak says, talking about things changed. They ain't changed all that much. I thought that that was like a really good line. Um, so my I guess my initial impression was like, Miss Daisy... Goes from like kind of casual racism to graduate into like performative wokeness, where like she's acting like she likes the changes of mm-hmm. things that are happening, but she's not actually like really participating in them because she's still what? having hoax sit outside of the dinner and stuff. And I started thinking about the movie from um, hoax' point of view and like sort of his character arc, and it, it's kind of interesting when you think about it from his point of view because. You know, he's got this accumulation of wealth. There's the scene, like, when he starts, he's making $7 a week. And by the end, his salary is, like, $75 a week. So he's, like, moving up the chain that way. He's learning to read. He mentions at the end of the movie his granddaughter is a college professor. I kind of thought that his arc was was inspiring and kind of made me look at the film a bit differently, to be honest.
1: Okay. So, a couple of things here. The... I don't know who to start with first, so I'll start with Miss Daisy. The character of Miss Daisy, um, I'm not really familiar with the director offhand, so I can't mm. compare any of his work to other things. Right. Uh, like, I can't say, okay, this guy, he directed this or that or the other, and then get sort of a, a understanding of the size, style. But it was very... Um, Hearken! Take me back to the to a good old day kind of feel, like the 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 time right before civil rights really took off, the time before Negroes became, you know, aware or Negroes started challenging the status quo. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, don't we miss those good old days? Um, you called her a pill. I'll call her a bitch.
0: Yeah, she's definitely, you know, she Bill a is actress. definitely <laughs> diplomatic.
1: Yeah, Candy. I loved her as an actress. She was in Cocoon. Like, I saw a few things with her in it, and I really mm-hmm. liked her as an actress. I also know Jessica Candy uh, was in a few things from back in the day that might be a little but it was a time, so she'll get that pass on that. But anyway... Um, the idea of the magical. You, the, it, it's funny that you compared uh, Morgan Freeman's character to that of, uh, you know, a, a Key and Peel sketch, yeah. because there are these magic, these tropes. One is a mag- magical Negro, like the Bagger Vance, who comes in mm-hmm. and you know takes, it, you know, makes the the white guy better, or you know the the kind of the the um, Jiminy Cricket. Of the of the movie, with no, yeah. own, you know, they don't have their own identity. Their whole being is about supporting this white character. Mm-hmm. You have Jezebel's, you know, she's the she walks in the room with a red dress and a high slit and red lipstick. Uh, Sometimes you have the uh, uh, the Mammy, and there are versions of that through the through the times like it's not the same as when Hattie McDaniels played the maid in Gone with the Wind but you'll find that the trope still kind of plays itself out Um, and with the Morgan Freeman character you see that this you know the central figure who is noble you know, in, in 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 spite of all of the things that he is facing and in spite of this bitch boss who's an asshole and, yeah. won't, you know, doesn't see him as a person, doesn't respect him as a, a peer, you know, she's he's, she's Miss Daisy. He's Hulk, which, by the way, I think I've brought this up on the show before. And if I have not good first time, I'm not repeating myself yet. My grandmother grew up where her grandmother worked for white people, mm-hmm. um, and it was this thing in the South where you would never be Miss or Madam or Mister. It's always your first name, or if they liked you, they would call you Aunt or Uncle. Right. So her grandmother was Aunt Annie. Um, right. So they rather for you to be family than for you to be an individual you know who deserves respect, and I and I likened the character of Morgan Freeman to the character. Um, and I haven't seen it, but sort of the Green Book character, with in the face of this white person with all this anger and all of this stuff coming at the person, they're still, you know, they're still holding their their selves high and above, and that brings that white character over you know to to being a better person so Mm -hmm. black person is there centrally to redeem the
0: white character yes
1: you know like yeah she's a racist but look by the end she has alzheimer's and only remembers hope.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) like (laughs) it's a being
0: Thing. Yeah, so something I thought about, you know, I did I did think Hoke had kind of an interesting arc, but one of my impressions at the end of the film was, I had mentioned, you know, it's said that his granddaughter uh, is a college professor, and you're like, he has a granddaughter? He has right. children? Right. Had, like, you never, you never met his family, his family or anything about him outside of— you know, his service to Miss Daisy. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Green Book because uh, that's actually on our list to watch for next week. I have seen it. Um, I
1: haven't seen it yet.
0: I, dedicated I listener William Jensen wrote in and uh, is asking us to discuss Green Book in response to this conversation. He saw uh, that Drunk on Writing, uh, a podcast, by the way, guys, if you want to listen to it, um, asked us about Driving Miss Daisy, and he mentioned Green Book. So we'll discuss that one next week. But Yeah. Yeah, I did see. Uh, I did get the impression, or you know, at the end, I had that thought of like, where was Hoke's background? You know, you're talking about his grand, his granddaughter is a college professor. And you're like, you've never even seen this. You've never even seen his kids or his wife. So
1: yeah. So did- one of the so one of the driving tropes of driving Miss Daisy is the white savior trope, um, which again doesn't provide any kind of humanity. It's again, it's a it's a caricature. It's a portion of what. You know, there's the good Negro, and that's what Hulk represents, the good Negro. And it's not a disrespect to people who had to live and make money in the service industry, whether they were maids or porters or butlers or anyone at the time, because they did what they had to do within the framework that they could work in. so that, that's not a disrespect to those who had to live, but we know for a fact that those people didn't blindly, you know, save white people from, so that's, that's my problem with driving Miss Daisy.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. I, uh, I thought it was all right. Like in terms of just like quality of film, I was like, all right, whatever. Like I wasn't blown away by
1: it. <laughs> it had a full, yeah. it was it was it was but
0: th- those are no, the- I, the- yeah yeah and I, I could see those like i said as i was watching i would definitely uh i didn't think that miss Da i didn't even really think that miss daisy was really redeemed that much because like you said at the end she's got alzheimer's and all she remembers is that like hoke was her best friend and you're like well that's that's nice but her brain's completely damaged because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, she's deteriorated away into nothing so like and and when she had a chance to really have a like redemptive moment at the MLK dinner. Yeah. she totally passes on it, you know so yeah. so uh, thank you at drunk on rating for uh, sending in that question guys if Definitely. you'd like to hear us discuss something, you can send it to us at ShakishaandtheWhiteBoy@gmail.com. and gmail.com. Moving on now, we're getting into some heavy boots conversations, which is a uh, kind of a vibe here on this podcast I would say every once in a blue. So, uh, you know, Shakisha, I think given how the Democratic primary has gone, um, there is—and maybe you'll agree with this—there's a a desire, I think, among the people for some substantial systemic change in how the U.S. elects its president. But there are issues in uh, voting in the United States even outside of the presidency. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we identified three of, like, what what we would say are, like, key— factors, things contributing to limiting people's right to vote in the U.S. But before we get into those, um, I wanted to ask you, Shakisha, where the hell has Joe Biden been? Because it's uh, now—we had a primary on Tuesday, which he won in, like, a blowout, basically, and now he's the presumptive nominee. We're going through a national crisis right now, and he hasn't made a public appearance, except you're saying he was on the stream that you were on last night. But outside of that, he hasn't made an official public appearance. In nearly a week now, I'm wondering what the strategy is to have him be completely uh, out of the public I eye
1: yeah.
0: in the middle of a, of a crisis.
1: I think, honestly, um, you know, so many times throughout my years, I've seen politicians uh, utilize... You know, whether it be 9/11 or the Iraq War, or what was the war? Was Iraq or Iran the war with um, George Bush the first?
0: That was the uh, Gulf War in Iraq.
1: I was like, okay, so Gulf War. You know, whatever that is, I've seen politicians use those situations as like politicize them. Um, and everyone's on lockdown. Everyone is home. You can't have any gatherings of. You know, now in New York, not Jersey, not New Jersey yet, but in New York, it was 10 or less, and now no gatherings of any size. It's almost like a complete. uh, What are they calling it? A stay-at-home
0: shelter at home.
1: Shelter at home, so a
0: shelter not, in place. Yeah,
1: it's not quite a, a order like a a, a mandate, but it is a shelter in place where things are closing down earlier and a lot of uh, gathering spaces are are completely shut down. So anyway, mm-hmm. it just makes sense that he wouldn't necessarily be out and about right now, or and not even out and about. Like you know, you have social media. So and the other thing is, I would have to say that watching Trump implode is so interesting. Like watching him just one thing after another, like getting wrong. I mean, he's getting stuff wrong in speeches. Like these yeah. are written words, man. they're they're written down for you before you take it to the teleprompter and you're mm-hmm. still getting the info wrong. Well, you can't you know, speak script. Just, like let this all build up before. And to be honest with you, it's nothing that he can do. He's not a senator, he's not a congressman. You know, there aren't things that he could do do. Like yeah. he can he can donate, he can talk to people, he can do but I I think it's probably a good thing he's laying low.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. I think he could fundraise at least and I I do I, you know, I think when uh, like you're not wrong about Trump and him making mistakes and shooting himself in the foot but if your fear is that you're going to roll Joe Biden out there and he's going to do the same thing then that doesn't really make him a very strong candidate does it like no. you know uh, and it's not as if uh, you're right legislatively he's he's powerless right now of course but um, he could have an online stream where he's just made, you know talking about the recommendations from the CDC and uh reminding people to stay home, doing a and A online about other issues. You know, mm-hmm. streaming is definitely a possibility. You can do that without leaving his home. So it worries me, I think, uh, okay. at, at a moment where we're in deep crisis and if your goal is to eliminate he who shall not be named, uh, in November, these are the moments where you need to have someone starting to show that they can lead, right? And you don't lead by being out of the public eye for a week when you're the presumptive nominee <laughs> to run against the president, you know?
1: Well, has, uh, has Bernie officially pulled out?
0: He has not. No, Bernie has been in the public eye, actually. He, he hasn't held any campaign events, of course, but um, he did a live stream on Saturday night. Um, he's also trying to fundraise uh, – for um, the Red Cross and like sending, uh, you know, just trying to organize people to respond to this this uh, this crisis that we're going yeah. through. You know, so
1: I'm on so I'm on Twitter, the Twitter page for Joe Biden, and he's pretty. Um, you know, we haven't seen him, but we are seeing like his latest tweet uh, today is what the twenty first or the twenty second.
0: Uh, Yeah. 22nd, I believe.
1: Um, And just about an hour ago, 244 Eastern Standard Time, he wrote, Mr. President, stop lying and start acting. Use the full extent of your authorities now to ensure that we are producing all essential goods and delivering them where they need to go. Um, And this is in response to uh, uh, FEMA being given authority to Mm -hmm. move forward or to take over the, the efforts. And, you know, testing and, you know, making sure there will be enough hospitals and things like that. Um, I don't know. Uh, so, you know, I would maybe we should reach out to him. I'm going to tweet him now and see if he'll <laughs> come on our show.
0: See if right on now. Our show. Yeah. I would love and, to and interview. We can,
1: like talk to him, and you know, invite other folks on, and we can that would make be great. You know, that would be really cool. So I'm gonna tweet him. That. Yeah.
0: So we'll see. I'm definitely worried, but uh, of course, there are other things that may prevent Joe Biden from participating in a fair and open election this this coming November in the fall. Uh, so, like I said earlier, we we identified three things that are uh, you know three main. Contribute to restricting people's right to vote here in the US. And the first one, I think, is only related, of course, to uh, federal elections, um, elections for president, but the Electoral College. So oh, she, that,
1: re- oh, that bag of shit
0: balls. Yes. yes. Yeah. We're going to talk about that bag of shit a little bit. And I agree, it is a big bag of shit. I read a book called uh, Let the People Pick the President, The Case for Abolishing the Electoral College earlier this year. It's by uh, Jesse Wegman, who's on the New York Times editorial board. And, uh, you know, my big takeaway from that and it was a great informative book talking about how the electoral college even came to pass you know how it came to be um, moments throughout history where the electoral college almost went away but then was defeated but my big takeaway from the book is you can get into the discussion today about how the electoral college was created and whether there is historical uh, precedent for having racist roots or not and that's something that's still under up uh, for debate among historians but all of that aside um, I think at the root of the matter today is the fact that the college is not proportionally representative of the U.S. population. You know, the House of Representatives uh, they help to inform how many electoral college votes there are, and the electoral and the House of Representatives hasn't expanded since 1929. There's been a cap of 435 members of the House of Representatives. Uh, so since 1929, and if you look at the numbers since 1929, the American population has grown 70 times, 70 times. So just off the bat here, if you accounted for the growth of the- Seven zero times. 70, yes. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you just account for that, there should be 112 more representatives in- the House, which would then account for 112 more electoral votes to be divvied out based on populations, uh, you know, it's partially House of Representatives, and then it's the cen- the census, which is actually, I actually just filled out my census yesterday. So first time in my life, oh. I got to do the census. I so I, yeah. I'm a huge nerd. I, I took a lot of pleasure in the five minutes. You do it online now. I can remember when I was a kid, uh, I have a memory of my dad filling out the census and me like watching him do it, a pen yeah. and paper, you know, and I was like, that was what I was imagining in my head when I was. About the census this year. And of course it's all digital now. So right, it's like right. an online questionnaire. Um, yes, yes. Uh so anyway, uh, you know, you look at um I, I'm sorry, I had said the population had grown 70 times. That's actually only the population, or that is the population of a state like California has grown so much that it's now 70 times that of Wyoming, right? But then when you look at their electoral votes, uh, California is only allotted 18 times more electoral votes. So just as an example of, like, there's a a state that reliably votes Democratic that is being shorted in terms of what its electoral representation should be. But more than that, it's kind of like, why do we need to have a system where we have representatives who vote for the president? Why wouldn't you just count the popular vote, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that to me is the biggest issue. Yes. Um, Go ahead, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, honestly, that... The fact is—and and unfortunately, the United States in so many ways are not willing to change with the times, update—the reason we have amendments are for these very reasons. The reasons why we have a Congress and a Senate is to reevaluate laws and, um, and standards of practice to meet the times. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that can be done. Um, I just feel that no one really understands that it can be changed.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely it wouldn't be easy, but it can be changed. I do want to note the population has grown three times. The U.S. population has grown three times the size it was in 1929. Uh, oh. But the the growth has not been proportional across all states, right? California is now 70 times more people than Wyoming. That was the point I was trying to make before. Often the, like, argument you hear for the electoral college from people um, is that it protects smaller states in a presidential election because it forces— Presidents or presidential candidates to campaign to smaller states. But that's not actually true when you look at the numbers because 12 of the 13 small states in the nation reliably vote for one party or another. So they're not swing states. So they actually get ignored more than a swing state would in an election. So,
1: and if I'm in New York or if I'm in, you know, New Jersey or I'm in California or Florida and I'm a person of color, um, that doesn't represent my existence. You know, I take a train to work, you know, my, mm-hmm. my you know, MTA sucks and needs money and needs new roads and, you know, fixed and bridges fixed What where someone in Wyoming or, you know, any of the, the middle, you know, I I Iowa or any of those smaller states don't necessarily have the same issues that I have. So mm-hmm. it doesn't reflect america as a whole it's a very small view of of american
0: life today yeah and so the the idea is that like you know if if we did away with the electoral college new york and california would decide every election well that's not actually true because those two states only still account for like 15 percent of the population for one thing but it States don't vote. It's people who vote. The people across the country would be the ones determining the president. It's silly to be like California would decide. The people of the entire nation would decide. Your vote in Wyoming would count as much as someone's vote in California. The thing that I think, like— what you just said. I live in New York State, of course. New York State reliably votes Democrat, although it hasn't always done that, but it does over the last few decades. Uh, I feel like my vote doesn't count really at all. I've said to people, like, if I don't vote for president this year, it's not gonna matter because whoever the Democratic nominee is is going to win my state. Like, if I did a protest vote—and I'm not saying that I'm going to do that—but if I did, if I left that blank and just voted down ballot— my, my mentality there is well, what does it matter? The, the, mm-hmm. Joe Biden, if he's the nominee, is going to win New York anyway. So, what the hell does it matter whether I vote or not? And in and all
1: I, 50, you have every right to feel that way because mm-hmm. of the Electoral College.
0: Exactly. It, and the it, thing that
1: it doesn't inspire the pe- people to get off their butts and go to the, to the polls because someone's saying, well, why am I voting? You know, it doesn't matter. Like, I have to go be a citizen in one of these smaller Midwestern states in order to even have a real say-so
0: hmm Yeah. It disincentivizes voting, for sure. Uh, something I, I realized when I was doing my research yesterday in preparation for the episode is, if you're a 50-year-old black person, a, a black Democrat living in Alabama, your vote for president has effectively never been counted because of the winner-take-all rule of the electoral college. Alabama always votes for the Republican nominee. So if you're a voting Democrat there, your vote literally never counts. So what reason do you feel like you have to vote? Yeah. Um, so that's the first one. And of course that's a big problem to, to solve, but it's one of the things that we need to start talking about if we truly want to have free and open elections here. We need to start having these conversations about these systems and these tools in place that prevent us from, from achieving this goal. Yeah. And the other I'll one that we talked about, Ryan,
1: before yeah, you sure, go ahead. Hey, hey guys, enough with the party and you know I'm back here doing the podcast. Calm down. All right, back to you, Ryan.
0: I <laughs> think we're going to have to cut my that
1: My husband is singing old Like I don't know if it's Teddy Pendergrass Or like he's getting into it And <laughs> I told these Neanderthals To calm down while I'm doing the podcast
0: Teddy Pendergrass That's some uh, sexy shit there You know he used to have
1: I can't Teddy the way Teddy sings
0: You know This he used is to the have...
1: problem with the, the Stay at home quarantine <laughs> <laughs> all right, that was my little rant. Anyway,
0: should we should we keep that in?
1: Please do. <laughs> I will. Bullshit.
0: Do you do you uh do you know that Teddy Pendergrass used to have um, women only concerts?
1: You know and- what, Ryan? Not now with Teddy trivia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got shit to do, and I'm right, being right. with the Teddy.
0: Right. Fair go. enough. Fair enough. <laughs> You're in mom 100 hardcore mom <laughs> mode right now. So uh, one of the other things that is preventing us from having these free and open elections that we're talking about is uh, voter ID laws, long wait times, and no national election holiday. And the issue you know, with the Electoral College, the issue is that it disincentivizes voting because you feel that your vote doesn't count. The thing with voter ID laws, long wait times, and no national election is it disincentivizes voting because it makes it very, very difficult to vote. Yeah. Um yeah. Shakisha, I'm sure that you've experienced long vote times uh because to our long wait times because typically these and uh, you know these are inherently racist policies because they always affect inner city locations, people p- places where there is a concentration of black people, black and brown people rather than white suburbs, right? Yeah. Have you experienced long wait times when you've tried to vote before?
1: Um so it so Up until recently, I had sort of a nine-to-five, so I would always either go earlier. and a lot of um, employers give their, you know, like a delayed uh, coming-in time to the office. Or, you know, you can leave just a little bit early. I've never really... I've always gone when I know that the crowds aren't going to be at their best. Like, I'm always there when it's just like a trickle. Um, Either at the very end of the night or the very beginning of the day. What I will say, though... Is it's very interesting how a lot of states now. Um, so let's just say, for instance, if I'm in need. So voter ID laws have to do with a, a few things, and some of them require, a, you know, a state ID or a license. Mm-hmm. Um, And for a lot of people nowadays, state IDs are a little can be costly in New York. I want to say it's one hundred and ten dollars for a license um, or it's like a combo thing or it's like an eight year license, whatever it is. It is pretty pricey, you know, to go and get your ID, Yeah. Um, which can you know, you can get a a ID like a um, what do you call it? If you get Medicaid or some sort of uh, state of uh, financed assistance, you could get one of those cards, but an actual ID card could mean that a lot of people are no longer able to go vote.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are currently 33 states with some form of voter ID law, and the, the argument you always hear is for why we need these things is voter fraud. Um,
1: Talk about it, Ryan. Tell us the truth. Uh,
0: yeah, I got to tell, a- tell you, voter fraud I is not truth. is not a real thing here in the United uh, States. I did some research, and from 2000 to 2014, there were only 31 documented cases of voter fraud across the entire United States. 14 years, 31 cases across the entire country, zero evidence that has ever actually affected the outcome of an election. Yeah. So voter fraud is not a problem we need to be tackling here. It's a moot point. It doesn't really exist in the United States. So when someone tells you we need voter IDs because of voter fraud, you can quote that statistic for them. You know, I'd actually, I would actually, I can imagine it's Scenario where I would be in favor of voter IDs as I was thinking about this, which okay. my scenario is we can have voter IDs. I'll cede that point. We can have them if we institute a national automatic voter registration. My idea here is if you issue the ID Uh, That can, like, serve as the person's voter registration. You issue it to them on their 18th birthday, and the card ID follows them around, and and it updates as they move. It allows them to change their status and such online and remains free. That's, like, the big thing for me. It has to be free. If you're going to require this, then tether it to automatic voter registration and make sure there's no cost. And I got to tell you, the people who are in favor of voter ID laws, I feel like if I presented this to them as like, okay, yeah. here's, here's the deal. We can do voter ID laws. We got to have automatic voter registration, and the ID needs to be issued automatically with that registration. I have a feeling that they wouldn't go for it.
1: What are your thoughts on um, people who have felonies such as uh, you know marijuana felonies? What do you think about them now being able to vote?
0: So uh, I think that uh, I am actually in favor of um, I, I, if you if voting is something that is meant to be a right a god-given right then really when you follow that line of logic and you and you pull that thread you it should never be alienated it should never go away right even if you're convicted of murder and I'm not saying that I necessarily feel this way but when you follow that logic, that person should be able to, to vote still, because uh, politicians can make policies that affect you when you're in prison. And so you need to be represented. And of course, if you're in prison, you're uh, performing labor for the state or for the government, depending on what type of prison you're in. You, I believe you're being taxed on that labor. So it's taxation without representation to say that someone who's in prison can vote. vote. Uh, for me— Only
1: that 13th Amendment, how wonderful it
0: is. Yes. For me, uh, I actually would say, like, I can see the argument for why a murderer or a rapist perhaps should have their right to vote taken away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying I'm 100 percent on that, but I can see the argument. But if yeah. someone comes out of prison and they're paying taxes again and they're and they're a member of society, I don't see how there's an argument that their voting rights shouldn't be restored. They, they paid their debt to society by with the time served. To me, it's a no-brainer, and it's like if you really want to talk about equality and, and voting as a right, uh, then that is one of the like things that needs to happen in order for that to be true here in the United States.
1: Well, I bring up the idea around um, charges you know, that surround marijuana specifically because so many states are legalizing
0: marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so those, Specifically have, to those. Yeah.
1: To yeah. Those sorry. I,
0: I didn't. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, so I, and I, I get where you're coming from. No, I mean, you, I mean, but these are the things that come up when you have that conversation. They're like, in well, New if you Jersey, want a murderer voting, you know, that that's going to pop up. Someone's going to say course. that. But for me, I'm thinking about the people with smaller offenses who've served time for, it's particularly in states that are now, that are now, um, have legalized marijuana mm-hmm. um, use, either recreational or medical. Um, and that should be something that is taken into account when so when you're talking voter
0: rights. 100% agree with that. And I would say that I think that those people, like any person who is a felon who comes out of prison, I think that their rights should be restored. That is an interesting situation, though, because they're, they have a felony for something that has been deemed legal after they committed the act. Um, And funny enough, I I agree with, I think that as states start to legalize and as we go down this path, that is one of the things you have to reckon with, right? You have to go back and look at like, okay, well, what about people who are serving time in prison currently for uh, dealing a substance that we've now made legal? Um, But here's the the other side of that coin is in New Jersey, your home state, last year they were pushing—or two years ago now, I guess—they were pushing to uh, legalize marijuana when uh, Phil Murphy became governor. And uh, it did not pass. And the reason it didn't pass is because they could not come to an agreement on what they should do with people who have felony convictions because of uh, drug charges marijuana charges. Um, In that situation, I actually thought that was a mistake by the state of New Jersey. I thought that they should have passed the legislation to legalize— and then you can go back and look at the solution. Of course, you should go back and look and figure out what you should do with these people. But by not passing the legislation, you're only creating more criminals, criminal cases, because it's still outlawed, right? So I thought that was a mistake by the state of New Jersey, my well, home state.
1: So I'm, I'm just a little asterisk on the side. So to that point about those who may have had convictions for marijuana usage, imagine sitting in jail and someone telling you, or you make a phone call home, or you see something, I don't know what prisoners get, like, online access, but imagine seeing something that says, marijuana dispensaries deemed essential staying open during (laughs) coronavirus.
0: Mm -hmm. What a world, huh?
1: Imagine how you would feel about that. Like, so I could have been on the corner... (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah i know and it's a valid point and and like i mean to me the 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 record should be clean if if they're in jail only for a marijuana conviction then that should be scrubbed away from their record and and well, probably there should be some reparations paid to that person. When you really get down to it, there should be some type of like uh, financial boost given to them. Because when you're in prison, out of society, forbid, it's hard to get back into the flow of getting a job, getting your life back on track. So there probably should be some financial restitution also. Yeah. So the third thing we want to talk, we're running out of time quickly here. This is a deep talk topic, of course, but uh, gerrymandering and voter roll purging. I uh, don't understand why voter roll purging exists. To be honest with you, um, it seems like the standards around it are very opaque. Uh, it's hard to determine, like state to state, what qualifies someone for being purged from the voter roll. And again, I feel like it's the type of thing. If we had automatic voter registration and it, you made it easy for people to update their voting status, this is the type of thing that you wouldn't need anymore, right? Voter purging. Yeah. I slurred there. I kind of. I kind of.
1: That was a lot, though. Like voter roll. Let me see if I can say it five times fast. Voter
0: roll purging. Bo- oh, see? That's- yeah, it is tough. Yeah, I was like, tough. voter purging. Open okay. the lips <laughs> and through the tongue.
1: Open the lips. a lot. Voter roll purging. Voter roll purging. Yeah. yeah okay.
0: And the other issue, of course, with voter roll purging is, uh, you know, gerrymandering, which are, these are things that representatives are doing to limit our rights to vote. Um, gerrymandering, I feel like we think about it a lot in terms of like, um, It being a Republican practice, but it actually does happen on both sides of the aisle. You know, I saw in, uh, I believe it was in Maryland, the Republicans there were suing the Democrats for what they deemed unfair voting districts and actually won uh, in in federal court. Um, Gerrymandering, of course, is like the manipulation of voting districts. And one way that uh, I was reading, you know, I was looking for like ways how you could solve this and there's a lot out there. There's there's actually no easy solution. Is really what it comes down to at the end of the day. There needs to be third-party watchdog groups who are who are verifying voting districts. Um, and there needs to be a lot of things in place. But one of the interesting is from a story on NPR in 2017. And it said, uh, mathematicians like Tufts University's and Duchin think that besides looking at the numerical distributions in voting districts, another key to detecting gerrymandering may lie in geometry. Duchin is searching for new ideas of what kinds of district shapes make for fair maps. For instance, by drawing lines across the state based on population density and then folding along those lines as if the state were a piece of origami, she's, she's exploring whether gerrymandering may be revealed by the curvature of the resulting shape. Hey. Hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Math could potentially be what saves us from gerrymandering. <laughs> what do you think about um, that?
1: I think the only issue is that the dividing lines are happening for a lot of other reasons. The districting of, of voting, the voting mm-hmm. district. And I do I do understand that voting districts are different from counties or other style because in New York there are districts, so I understand yes. voting districts are a little bit different from uh, districts. Districts, however, um, the issue is so if I live in a uh, a neighborhood that is a certain. Um, I'm going to make it short because we've already talked about this ad ad nauseum. So to shortly put it, I feel that people will believe that the realigning of districting will roll over into other areas of life. Mm -hmm. And that if I'm in an affluent neighborhood adjacent to a lower class neighborhood, that means that I'm now in that other neighborhood, if that makes any sense. Like if I live on the line of, let's say, Tribeca, Like, in Soho, like, if I live in Soho, but I'm, like, right off of the Lower East Side, just one block changes my place of residence. Mm -hmm. And that's how I—that's why I think it's such—it's not that easy of a escape.
0: Yeah, no, it's definitely difficult, and but I do think the idea of, like, having— uh, shapes that make geometric sense You know you, when you see some of these voting district Shapes it's clear that they've been manipulated In a way to where like you're moving People you move a line one block Over to make sure that people are outside Of the district or or sure. within one you know? right. so,
1: so. so for both See that's a two-edged sword Because for that very reason that you just said So now I live in Tribeca And my kids can go to better schools Now and my mm-hmm. you know Funding for things that I didn't have funding For living just on Avenue see means something different now that I'm living in Soho so it's it it can yeah Mm, okay
0: you're all over lower Manhattan there you're in Tribeca you're in Soho you're down by Avenue (laughs) C I have taken you on a journey so I mean what do you think like what do you what do you feel is the solution to to (laughs) the conditions around voting here in the United States
1: I think starting with the electoral college is a good start yeah that's an excellent start because it takes away. It gives the people their voice back.
0: At least in presidential elections, yeah.
1: In presidential, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I really think it's important to, to understand that if, like you said, you made such a good point about if I live in Alabama and I'm a, a traditional Democrat, I'm not counted the yeah. way I should be. So I think that's a major plus. Uh, as far as redistricting and gerrymandering that's very i don't know there, there's so much to unpack there you you are right in that a person you know if i'm a councilman or i'm working with you know uh, what do you call it, alderman or something i can easily mm-hmm. manipulate it to where i want it to be um but it, it's still i don't know there's so many outliers with that
0: yeah, just one more thing before. I mean, it's definitely not an easy solution. I think um, I'll tell you my my ideas, uh, and then we'll and then we'll call it an episode. But one thing I wanted to mention to you: Have you heard of the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact? I have not. So this is a movement. Uh, of, it's a compact between states, where states basically agree to send all of their electoral college votes to whoever wins the national vote. Or the, the popular vote in a presidential election. So oh. um, there are currently, I'm looking now to see how many states are uh, currently doing this One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 states right now who have, who yeah. agreed to this compact. And what's interesting is because you know the idea with the Electoral College is that it's very difficult. It'll, it'll be very difficult to eliminate, because you need a, a congressional amendment, amendment to the Constitution, right? And that's something that is nearly impossible to make happen. Um, so the idea here is that states are going outside of that territory. And so the compact doesn't exist right now. The idea is once they have enough electoral votes—so once enough states sign on that they have 270 electoral votes, then the compact goes into effect, and all these states have agreed that they will turn over their electoral college votes to whoever wins the popular vote. New Jersey and New York both have signed on. Wow, awesome. Yeah, something to look into, the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. There are many activists out there pushing for this. They see it as a way to get around a constitutional amendment and actually do away with the electoral college without legally getting rid of it. I think, for me, the biggest thing is automatic voter registration. You know, I don't understand voter voter roll purging. I don't understand why you need to physically register to vote. Uh, if it's meant to be a right for every person 18 and over in this country, why aren't you right, registered when you turn 18? And you've seen now some cities and some states talk about this. To me, it's just something we should be, we should be mandating federally. If you truly want free and open elections, you need to have it so that everyone is registered to vote. And it's really that simple. Um, the other thing that, I, that is intriguing to me is uh, ranked choice voting, where you know you have a system where you would actually rank. My preferred candidate is person X. My second is person you know, Y, and my third is person Z. And they run a system where uh, you know they count all the first place votes, and. Um, anyone who, so, and you know, they, they have the winner out of the two or three candidates or whatever, all the first place votes. If that person doesn't have yet 50% of the majority of the vote, they would, they, all of the people who voted for someone else in that first round fall away and their second choice votes go to the candidate, are dispersed against the candidates and you basically keep following that system until <laughs> someone has 50% of the vote. Does that make sense? All Did right. I explain that right?
1: Uh- I'm gonna have to go with a, a Philadelphia reference. Explain that to me like I'm a six-year-old. <laughs> <So, laughs> <laughs>
0: Rank choice voting. You have candidate one, candidate two, candidate three. Got that. Everyone ranks that how they want, how they prefer the
1: candidate. I'm, 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 I'm caught up to that first part with the first level mm-hmm. of voting. So There's we we vote.
0: Yep. Yeah. Here. So we vote. Uh, candidate one has is it wins that first round but they only have 40 percent of the vote they look at all the people who voted for candidate two and candidate three Mm -hmm. uh and they look at their second choice and all of the second choice votes go now to whoever is remaining so like it, oh
1: got it got it okay
0: and they keep doing that it keeps going until one candidate reaches a 50% majority um so it would actually allow for like third parties to have a chance to okay. actually compete yes. in elections yes. and stuff so alright I understand kind of interesting rank choice voting yeah, yeah.
1: and it's so, not from just like the, the democrat republican it, it kind of definitely opens up the field understood okay yeah exactly yeah. so
0: alright well, that's that. on I, I feel like we, we probably solved the issue. You know, it's not that big of one here in the United <laughs> States. <so. laughs>
1: that's what we're here to do. Make magic, people.
0: That's all for today's episode of Shakisha and the White Boy. Listener, do you have an opinion on voting rights or a solution to the problems preventing truly free elections from happening here in the U.S. or abroad? Send it our way at Boy at gmail.com, and we'll discuss it in our mailbag segment. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned earlier, we've got another cinema theme mailbag question on next week's show. So if you guys have a movie that you want us to talk about, feel free to send those in, too. We're taking whatever you got for the mailbag right now, Rich Keisha. Work. And, guys, uh, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate and subscribe to the show wherever you're listening. And follow us on social media at SATWB1 on Twitter and Insta. We're also on Facebook. Shout-outs to Berberock for writing and producing our intro music. Hear more of his music at www.berberock.com. That's B-R-B-R-C-K. Shakisha, what do you got going on for the rest of the day?
1: I am going to watch C on Apple TV. What's C? It's this cool show um, starring uh, Aquaman, Jason Momoa.
0: Oh, ah, okay. All right, I enjoyed his Super Bowl. And I
1: got some writing to do, so yeah, I'm going to get into nice. that.
0: Yeah, staying productive. I love it. Yeah. Well, I thought it was a good episode today talking about voter rights. What do you think of the conversation?
1: I think you schooled everybody, including me. It was something to think about.
0: Yeah, well, uh, we're, we're here to do a joint schooling of the audience, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sometimes, uh, sometimes you do, and that's just how it goes. Yeah. All right, guys. Until next time.
1: Bye.